Hi, this is Mark Nixon, and I'm the writer for today's episode of The Lift, Why I Always Take the Lift. If you enjoy the story, you can find more of my work at shadowsatthedoor.com and find more episodes of The Lift at victoriaslift.com. My office cubicle's only on the second floor, but every day I take the lift. And more often than not, I hear a noise of disapproval from those destined for the higher floors when I get off. It's not that I'm lazy. Sure, I don't jog the length of Central Park every other day like everybody else in Manhattan seems to, which, if you ask me, is a little too much like posing anyway. Especially John in marketing, who insists on completing his jogs topless. It's just that I like taking lifts whenever I can. On the few occasions when someone has asked why I insist on taking the lift, I usually tell them it's so I can steal a few precious moments on Twitter. But today, just for you, the truth. Do you hear me? I am Victoria. I am Victoria. Once upon a time, there was a place that became lost. Became lost. It is a place where story and substance combine. Where the reality of story shapes thoughts. Where fantasy becomes tangible. This is that place. Those who find themselves here are here to make a choice. The choices you made in the past don't matter. But the choice you make now is the one that will set your I once had my life saved on a lift. Well, maybe that's a tad dramatic. I wasn't in any physical danger, but my mental health? That was on the verge of collapse. It had just finished raining when I stormed out of the office all those months ago. It was around 9 p.m., and the streets of New York were still brimming with activity. The office is on the corner of East 42nd Street, on Madison Avenue, it's only a short walk from the public library. I love reading. I can't tell you how that particular love started, because it's always been there. So, when I left the office in great distress, it would come as no surprise to those who know me that I unconsciously gravitated to the library, as opposed to the bars that aren't too far further down the block from the office. Of course, that late at night, the library was closed, but I still took some solace from placing myself by the side of one of those stone marble lions. After some minutes staring at the cabs pass by, I suddenly broke down in tears and buried my face into the palms of my hands. See, I worked, and still do, in an office full of 30-somethings, most with kids, and they spend their lives waiting for the next episode of The Bachelor or The Voice to start. A little gossip is the closest they get to excitement between 9 to 5. So the events that transpired were sure to be the talk of the town, and impossible to ignore. That night had been the going-away party for our deputy department manager, Scott. And rather than go down to the bars or meet up for a meal, we simply stayed back after the shift ended, armed with a couple of kegs, a large order of pizza, and a Bluetooth speaker, which we all fought over. 
I'd always admired Scott. And honestly, I was sad to see him go, even if it was for a well-deserved promotion. I'd gone in to give him my personal goodbye as he went to leave for the restroom. And through my slurred speech, I was able to tell him that I'd miss him. And before I knew it, I was kissing him. First, a little background info. At age 13, I first kissed a girl named Darcy. Her lip gloss tasted like cherries, and I even dared to put my hand on her hip. At 15, I received my first blowjob from Christy Potter after dating her for more than a year. But following a spot of locker room bragging that got loose, thank you very much, Stephen Adams, I was soon at the dumping end of a very public breakup. So it wouldn't be until I was 19 when I lost my virginity to Emily Curtis upstairs at a house party. More girls followed, not as many as I'd have liked, but there were at least a few more. So to find myself passionately kissing a man at an office party was as much a surprise to me at that moment as it would have been to any of my childhood friends. There was nothing special about Scott. He was about as plain-looking as me, just another face in the crowd passing by, albeit in a moderately fashionable suit, but under the glow of the dimmed office lights, he looked incredible. The shadows casting down his face seemed to strengthen his features, his jawline, his perfectly straight nose, and his large, glistening brown eyes. Suddenly, everything made sense. The admiration I'd harbored for Scott's unfappable professionalism, the way he calmly dealt with stressful situations, the fantastic sense of humor. Now it all made sense. The kiss was over before I had time to realize what was happening. I don't know if the delay was due to alcohol or sheer shock or, hey, maybe it was both. It was me who stopped the kiss, strangely enough. Scott elevated his eyebrows in a combination of shock and an expression I was about to realize was pleasure when we were interrupted by the deadpan voice of Vicky from reception, attempting to suppress her utter glee. Oh, she said, barely containing her smile. Vicky? I gasped, looking at the small, tubby receptionist. Panic gripped me. Now, that may be a phrase people overuse, but I seemed to feel a giant hand grab my heart and squeeze it. Out seemed to flow only adrenaline, and my instincts told me, no, screamed at me to run. I should go, I finally said. I could swear that I heard Scott call after me as I stormed down the hallway. But who could be sure with the thudding bass in the background? I practically ran from the two of them and the gossip that was surely about to break out. And then I headed up to the library, as you already know. There, I vomited. I'd like to tell you it was down to nerves, but somehow I don't think you'd believe me. A cold breeze shook some amber leaves along the steps wrapping themselves around my feet. I reached for one and examined it for no reason at all. And then I startled as the doors to the library slowly opened behind me. There, in the dead of night, was the little girl walking out of the library, clinging on to a stack of books that reached her nose. She was dressed in an old frock, the kind you force on kids for those vintage photo shots, and she couldn't have been older than ten. 
I waited for a parent or anyone to follow her, but she seemed to be alone. I sniffed to clear my throat, not realizing I had somehow managed to get some vomit in my nose. And after that unpleasant business, I managed to speak to the girl. Be careful on those stairs, I offered. She stretched her head to look down and seemed to agree with my sentiment. Thanks. You should be careful too. You wouldn't want to stand in that sick. I looked down, embarrassed. I also didn't register how unusual her voice seemed. There was a foreign accent, but that wasn't it. The voice seemed to echo, and as such her words seemed to linger in my head long after she'd spoken. She could tell me that I was President of the United States, and it'd take me a few minutes to realize I wasn't. Yeah, gross, right? I answered. Yep. I stood up and navigated around the mess on the steps, wiping my eyes. Do you want a hand with those books? Oh, yes, please. I leaned over and took the pile. From some of the forward-facing spines, I could see quite an eclectic mix. One flew over the cuckoo's nest by Ken Casey, a somewhat inappropriate choice, I thought. A Brief History of Time by Professor Stephen Hawking, and the titles went on like that. Quite a mix you have here, I noted. I'd like to think so, she replied. I've read some of them before, actually, but they're really good. Yeah. We reached the bottom of the stairs, and at that point, no one had left the long since darkened doors of the library. So, who are you with exactly? Not only was I concerned as to why there was a young child in the middle of Manhattan unattended, but I was also aware of how my interest in her must seem to the average passerby. Luckily, New Yorkers tend to keep their heads down at night. Just me, she replied. And don't worry, most people don't see me unless they need to, or I want them to. Huh? People see me when they need to, she repeated, almost annoyed. I got the impression she'd had this conversation more times than she can remember. Like you. You need help right now. You think? Well, evidently. That means you get to come and take a ride on my lift. Your lift? Yeah, but don't worry about it. And we'll be there soon anyway. And she was right. Only a few blocks walked down Fifth Avenue, and we reached a building that seemed to be our destination. I hadn't seen it before myself, and I'd worked in the area for close to four years by this point. We walked into the reception, which was strangely empty, and waited for the lift to arrive to the ground floor. I'd placed the books on the reception desk as instructed, and the last of the alcohol seemed to leave my system as we waited. I felt at ease with the situation, which, looking back and telling you right now, seems completely bizarre. But at the time, it felt entirely normal, and I felt totally compliant with the girl's plan. She felt like a force of nature, like a sudden rainstorm. You can't stop the rain. All you can do is choose how you react to it. The lift finally arrived, and we stepped in. It was gorgeous inside. It reminded me very much of the ones in the plaza. It took us up, sounding off a bell as we passed each floor. It took us to the eighth floor, and although the doors opened, 
they soon closed again, and we descended quite suddenly. Weird, I said, apparently not phased by an elevator that seemed to work on its own. I was afraid of this, she replied. The lift doesn't know which floor to take you to. Your issue, let's call it, has more consequences than you realize. We felt the lift slow as it approached the sixth floor. Again, the doors opened, but again immediately closed, and we lurched back upward once more. Thankfully, by this point, I was completely sober. Okay, so let me explain. She started again. Each floor has a speciality. That was the sixth floor, for example, where we deal with denial, uncertainty, and fear. She stopped talking and leaned against the side of the lift, putting her ear to the wall. She smiled and joined me at my side once more. Okay, so the lift has sussed things out now. We're going back to floor eight. And what do you deal with on floor eight? I asked, a little scared. Dishonesty, secrecy, she said, and then locked eyes with me. And lies. Lies? The lift then arrived at the eighth floor, though I hardly noticed. Afraid so. You may not realize it, but when you were sitting by the library, you already knew how you felt. Or to put it in another way, deep down you already knew who you are. You just need to stop lying to yourself. Those words hit me like a ton of bricks. She was right. I knew how I felt before I even walked after Scott. Deep down, it's possible to lie to yourself so adamantly and so completely that you start to believe it. Yes, there'd been girls and they'd been good times, but looking back now, I could see that I'd gone through the motions to some extent. Well... I think so, anyway. Who can honestly say they knew exactly what they were doing in their teenage years? I looked outside of the lift and could see the corridors of my office building. Don't ask me how. That's just how it was. The lights were low, but the music was still playing. Clearly, the party was still going in full swing. I turned to a girl whose name I never caught and thanked her. I knelt and gave her a hug which she returned warmly. Again, looking back, this all seems so bizarre, and I almost wish I'd spoken to her some more because when I stepped out of the lift and turned back to say goodbye, she was gone. All I saw was the door to the supply closet. I took a deep breath and walked back to the party, ignoring the hushed giggles of some of the women. I picked up two bottles of beer and sat down by Scott. He took one and gave me a handsome smile in return. Hey, he said. Hey, I replied. And no, we didn't dance to the slow song at the end of the party, but we did share a few beers and a lot of laughs, and we're still in touch. It's not been a quick journey to fully understand who I really am, but thanks to the girl and her lift, it's been a much easier one. And now we come to the point of this little tale. Some wise, if unusual, words of advice. If you ever come across a young English girl, dressed out of time, and probably acting it too, then give her a little smile and let her know that you can see her.
she might just save your life. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Lift. Today's episode featured a story by Mark Nixon, Why I Always Take the Lift. If you'd like more information on Mark and his work, please visit shadowsofthedoor.com and follow him on Twitter at Shadows at Door. Artwork for today's show was created by Jeanette Andromeda. If you'd like more information on Jeanette and her work, please visit horrormade.com and follow her on Twitter at horror underscore made. This episode was scored by Nika Vitaze of We Talk of Dreams. Today's narrator was Daniel Foytek. That's me. Full show notes with links and artwork can be found at victoriaslift.com forward slash S1E9. Don't miss the next episode. Subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, or TuneIn Radio. You can also listen right at the website, coming soon to Google Play. Please help others find our little lost place. Share the show and help us grow. It's easy to retweet, repost, and share the show. The best support you can give us is to rate us in iTunes. Find us at itunes.victoriaslift.com. Follow us on Twitter at Victoria's Lift and find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Victoria's Lift. This show's feed is feeds.feedburner.com forward slash Victoria's Lift. The opening theme music was composed and recorded by Kimberly Henninger and Sean Park of Cathedral Sounds, cathedralsounds.org. The Lift closing theme music was composed and recorded by Nico Vitaze of We Talk of Dreams, wetalkofdreams.com. For information on any incidental music in this episode, please check the show notes at victoriaslift.com for titles and credits. The voice of Victoria Bigglesworth Hayes was performed by Amber Collins. Creator and producer, Daniel Foytek. Executive producer and co-creator, Cynthia Lohman. Music director, Nico Vitaze. All characters and works read in this audio recording and associated music and artwork are copyright of Story Radio and may not be used in any form without permission. The Lift is a Story Radio and Ninth Story Studios production. NinthStory.com Do you like me and my lift? Please tell me by writing a short review of the show in iTunes and leaving me some gold stars. It helps others to find their way here too. I like gold stars. Can I have lots? Pretty please? Leave me stars and reviews at itunes.victoriaslift.com Societies rise and societies fall. When the time comes... One society steps forward to build a better future. The Wicked Library, Kettle Whistle Radio, Night Story Podcast. 
Progwatch, Red Horse Radio, The Lift, History Goes Bump, Listen, The M Writing Podcast, Society 13, Rebuilding Society, one podcast at a time.